Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie, and I believe that all readers should read children's literature, especially adults. So that's what we do on the Kid Lit Love podcast. We celebrate all things children's literature, picture books, early readers, middle grade, and young adult novels too. Whether you're an adult reading to your inner child or connecting the young readers in your lives with fantastic books, you've come to the right place. Each week, we'll talk to a different children's literature author and discuss their books, their hopes and dreams for readers, their writing process, and much, much more. So grab a notebook to build your TBR and let's get to today's episode of Kid Lit Love. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kid Lit Love podcast. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with Megan Wilson Duff, debut author of How Are You Verity? This is a beautiful picture book. It is bright, it is colorful, it is full of some really interesting facts. I think that that readers will adore. Um, And it's also full of a conversation around of our social norms and what it means to have a greeting, to have a salutation and, and how a particular child navigates that. So it's it's got a lot in it today and I am so excited to talk with Megan. So Megan, welcome to the Kid Lit Love podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to wait before I want to just to say that I really appreciate the fact that you reached out to me after I was doing a talk because it's really it's really helpful and it's lovely because there's a lot of reaching out to other people you don't know on my side of things. And so that was wonderful. And you get major gold stars for sending some questions ahead of time. And you and I got to speak a little bit before we recorded this. And all three of those things make life a lot easier for me and people like me. So Thank you. Oh, good. I'm glad. You know, it's funny because I, I get so nervous reaching out to authors as I feel like a little kid on Christmas, you know, like, oh my gosh, I get to talk to someone <laughs> I admire. So I, I, I love that that's appreciated. It makes me feel better now. I'll keep, I'll keep doing it, even though it's a little nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you jump in with introductions? Why don't you tell listeners a little bit more about you and about your book? Okay. Um, so uh, let me see what's in the standard sort of things. When I'm not writing children's literature, I am a, um, a professor in the psychology and community studies program at University of Maine in Machias, which is way up the East Coast, about 40 miles from the Canadian border on the coast. Ah. Um, and I love teaching. I spend a lot of time working with students and reading and rereading books with them and talking about them. I really love my job. And I started writing children's literature right in the pandemic, honestly. Um, And so I started with picture books, sort of thinking I would go from, you know, the youngest and try, see see where I land. And right now I really love picture books. And I have to say, um, How Are You Verity is illustrated by Taylor Barron. And I do not know Taylor. I've never met Taylor. We email now and then. Um, but I think one of the things that surprised me the most about the process of putting together a picture book is that uh, it's just as much her book as it is mine, but um, we didn't talk through the whole process. It was all through the editor. So I think that's a hidden piece of picture book making that's really fascinating. And I hope Taylor and I get to make some more Verity books. So, <laughs> Yes. 
Yes. Well, I, I hope so too. I, I find that fascinating that you didn't start writing until the pandemic, right? The pandemic, lots of negatives, of course, but I'm finding so many positives too, of people finding their place or starting a new passion or doing something new. And that's, that's fascinating that that's where you began. Did you, did you ever have thoughts about being a writer before then? And you just acted on them during COVID? How, how did that work? So I've always considered myself a reader. <laughs> and I, most of the time, I think growing up thought of myself as a pretty good student, like I could do school relatively successfully. But I never, I've, I've really struggled to write. Um, it's, writing is hard for me. I, and so I never, I didn't have a dream of being a writer or something. And in some ways it was like a personal challenge to stick to it enough because um, I, writing is hard. I got pulled over in graduate school and I'm grateful to the professor who did it and uh, got sent to a remedial writing seminar because as she said, your writing obscures your ideas. And then she said, and your ideas are good, but <laughs> so I am not somebody who represents the group of people who've always, you know, imagined themselves as an author or has been writing books since they were a little kid. I'm, I'm somebody who kind of had to, you know, struggle my way towards it. So, yeah, well, that's even more inspiring, you know, to, to think of it that way. And I think for, you know, kids learning about their favorite authors, you know, to know that their favorite authors that they know and love may not have always wanted to write and maybe struggled a bit just like them. That makes it even more accessible to hear that, to hear that story. So why don't you talk a little bit more about your book? How are you Verity? Okay. Um, and I want to say, I'm going to sound a little clumsy doing this because I, I have so many thoughts at once on, <laughs> on the story, but um, so I'm going to start from where that idea came from that story was about the seventh story I wrote, which was seven months into me writing. And I was sitting with a friend of mine um, who's neurodivergent. We're talking about sort of autistic uh, ways of being and what was familiar. And we were talking about the question of how are you and how ironic it is that there's this greeting question that sounds like a question that wants an answer, but really it's more of a exchange that isn't actually asking anything it's sort of like saying hi hi how are you I'm good bye um and how confusing that is because it you know it yeah. takes just a little bit of time to like okay which one is this because it's also used as how are you I haven't seen you in a really long time and I want to talk to you and it's also used as you look really horrible or tired or upset how are you so there's these really different ways we use the question how are you and it takes a lot of energy in a very quiet, private way to sort through what it is. <laughs> and you always wonder, did I get it right? Or was I just really rude to somebody because I interpreted it as, you know, just a high in passing sort of a, how are you in passing? I miss when I was a teenager, you used to be able to say, what's up? And you could just go, the sky, the ceiling, and then walk on and just know, avoid the whole thing in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So that was what was going through my mind. And I really wanted to make sure I wanted to see if I could get a little autistic perspective in a story um, in a way that was affirming. Mm -hmm. It feels familiar. And uh, the John character, who's who's the older brother, was sort of my like kid kid wish that I had somebody older than me who I could just 
ask the question to, or who could just give me the information without judgment. Um, so that that's that piece of it for me. Um, so yeah, does that help? Is that a little bit? <laughs> it does. It does. Um, you know, it's funny. I was going for a walk with my, my son last night, he's 19 and we were talking about, you know, what, what is our day going to be like tomorrow? And I said, I was doing this podcast and I told him about the book and he's like, yeah, I think about that all the time. Like, how do you know how you're supposed to respond? You know, cause we had just passed a neighbor who's like, hi, how are you? And we're like, oh, good. And we all keep walking. But what, what about all of those other times and what do people expect? And so it's just really interesting to, to, to think about that. Um, and I love how in the book, so Verity is kind of going from place to place and neighbors are asking, how are you? And she doesn't give or the typical response, right? It's, <laughs> they give the response with this amazing scientific fact usually included, which is all of this wonderful jumble of information going on in their mind, um, which I, I loved, like this very curious child. And I'm so glad you mentioned um, the brother because that connection really jumped out to me in in the book. And he's like, hey, you know, not everybody really needs you to respond <laughs> like that. And then, so Verity goes on this little test run, you know, to to try it out and see how people respond. Um, and then, you know, something happens at the end. I, I never know how much to reveal about a book. Do we, do we talk about it the whole way through? Um, but how did you conceptualize that idea of kind of, writing the book with, with that in mind, that's what you wanted to explore in the book. How did it come to be that that was, you know, the flow of it and that, you know, John was there. And I'm just curious of, of how the storyline of it came to be to bring that to life. Well, you, in as I answer that, I want to say you brought up the the second layer, which is important to me, which is Verity's info dumping. So in the autistic and neurodivergent community, we talk about info dumping and unlike it being a bad thing where you're being socially oblivious, it's more like an expression of excitement, enthusiasm, and an attempt to connect with people, even though sometimes people don't receive it very well. And so um, I wanted the story to be affirming of that. I, autistic people know that there are social rules and everybody's different. We got that. But the but I wanted it to be where the, the lesson wasn't, you know, stop talking about the thing you love little kid at the end of it. Right. So without spoiling the ending, you know, how can you learn that there's different ways people use how are you and still also be able to celebrate the thing you're intensely interested in? Um, and so that's another line that I was thinking about through this because the message kids often get is like, hem it in, man, it's too much. <laughs> no, nobody cares. And I have, uh, I laughed after I said, nobody cares. That's horrible. But I, I want my oldest child loves appliances, specifically washers and dryers. And, um, you know, we'll ask people, do you have top loaders or front loaders? What brand is it? Where is it? And it's been interesting to watch people interact with him. Um, and try to watch myself and how I respond. Like, do I try to mediate that interaction or do I just let him have it? And how do you find ways that that can be affirming, like that he can have connection through those conversations? And so that's what I was thinking about with Verity. And by the way, 
marine life is one of my interests and has been since childhood. So there was a little bit of like if six or seven year old me would have been like, ah, but you, we get the message, right? It's not appropriate. Nobody wants to talk about that, but nobody's going to tell you why nobody wants to talk about sea life. But if I wanted to talk about LOL dolls or right. I don't know, basketball or something, it would have been received as sort of age appropriate, gender appropriate conversation topic. So really the difference is either the intensity of how interested you are in it, or you have an interest that not a lot of people expect you to have. It's the specificity of it. So that's a layer of this. And I jokingly say, this, this pitch doesn't work for many people, but I jokingly say like, come for the lesson on social pragmatics, stay for the happy info dumping about sea life, because it's sort of switching from provider language, you know, education and mental health provider language to, um, you know, autistic affirming autistic community language. So um, that's a little bit how I was thinking about that second layer about info dumping and sharing what you're excited about. And in the author's note, I talk a lot about it because I want parents and and teachers and whatnot to understand that like if you know somebody's interest that's a gift that's where all their motivation is that's where you connect with them like it's not something to ask them to rein in it's something to use to help them learn help them connect help them find community so yeah second layer (laughs) yeah and I love that layer because I really felt that's what made Verity so endearing and connectable right? Because of that interest. I mean, I learned about vampire squid, sea sheep. I didn't know there was such a thing called a a sea sheep, which is actually like a sea slug, right? (laughs) You know, plastic decomposition and climate change, all, all of those topics, you know, that I know kids listening would find fascinating are also in here, making it a book that multiple readers can find an entry point to. Now, you mentioned kind of the different, in your pitch, kind of the different aspects of the book. What what was, or maybe is, your goal in writing this book? Is it for teachers or clinicians or, you know, adults to use with kids to help them navigate the situations? Is it also, you know, a book just to be enjoyed? which I think it is obviously, but I'm, I'm just <laughs> curious of like when in your mind, where, where do you want to see the book end up, I guess, and how might it be used? So I wrote it for me and for kids that relate. That's, you know, that's who's in my mind is, is the kid who, even if they don't have ways to articulate, it goes, oh, I understand this. Yeah. Um, and that's what I meant by really trying to, it's it's hard because the adults are the gatekeepers to picture books. That's how they're the vehicle, you know, through which a picture book ends up in front of a child. So I know that you have to please them to a certain extent. And there are autistic adults and teachers and parents too. And, and some of my favorite reviews, you know, when I saw reviews internally on NetGalley, because I can see them because I'm there too. <laughs> so they're not used publicly. And one person said, you know, this was the book I wish uh, my autistic self had had when I was a little kid, because it gives me the information without being condescending. And I was like, okay, so I know it's landing well, (laughs) like, because that's the, you know, that's, I just wanted, I wanted an explanation of the rules so I could figure out how to, you know, do something correctly. When I was a little kid, I was just hyper aware that I'm, 
I have to figure this stuff out because it's not obvious to me. And I hear myself say that and I, you know, it's a, it's a bad habit to assume that you are supposed to go around figuring things out because then you're constantly accommodating other people and it makes the part of you that doesn't get things kind of hidden. And one of the reasons why I'm glad there's more like open autistic community and otherwise neurodivergent communities often online is because it, it was revelatory to realize all the things I was nervous about privately working so hard on other people just understood I didn't even need to explain it like I could hear them talk and go oh my god they that's their experience too it's just and so that's the part of me even as an adult when I seek out the books that I choose to read and I'm reading all the time usually a few of them you know in middle of a few of them you know I I um I love reading books by autistic authors because even when they're the story isn't about being autistic um you know, it's a perspective thing. And I did not have that growing up. Like I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have identified as autistic when I was younger. I was, I was too well-behaved at school. You know, I, I, I was too successful. So I didn't have problems to the adults. And now my parents are like, you were really stressed out as a kid. And I was like, yep, but I was trying really hard, you know, like, so, um, and it's different now because my kids are both autistic. And so my parents see them and we're like, oh, you were like that in these ways, you know? So something has also changed in terms of our society, um, in terms of the diagnosis of autism has changed. And, but then also the visibility and um, representation from within the autistic community in terms of like how people think of themselves or people think of being autistic, which is really different than mental health providers. And I keep on singling them out because I'm a clinical psychologist and that's how I'm trained and um, the educational setting. So um, I'm really grateful to hear more voices. And in this way, I know the book is a bit niche, right? It's for a very specific group of people, but I don't really think of it as, um, uh, you know, here, this will teach your kid. I want it to be more like here, this will affirm your child. <laughs> right. right. And, and I love, you know, listening to you talk um, that's what books can do for us, right? They can show us that we're not alone. They can show us that there are other people who maybe think or wonder or act like us. And that's actually how I found you and your work because you, like me, believe strongly in the idea of bibliotherapy and using books to grow and to heal and to connect and to relate Um on so many different levels. And I, I think that this book, you know, can be an entry point to that for so many readers. Um, and so I, I love, I just love that you were writing it for you, right? Because that's, that's the power that I think comes through as a, a reader, that connection that you just tell, right? When a book is made from a certain space, at least I feel like I, I, I can tell, um, and knowing your background of the work that you do, I think just makes it even more powerful. So you mentioned that you're in the in, in the middle of a couple of books right now. So you're a, a book polygamist. I can only read one at a time. I cannot, unless it's a professional book and a personal book, I am terrible at jumbling the the storylines in in my mind. And I'm just curious, what what is what are you reading? I'm reading um, the latest in the Wild Robot series with my oldest. Um, oh, that love, just came love, out. Love, yes. Yeah. 
we just finished up the the latest story phantasmagory i'm i'm highlighting all the books that like we those two series we were very excited about um i am reading a book on autistic masking which is a non-fiction one for work um and personal interest and I have some other novel that I just finished up. It was one of Dahlia Donovan's cozy mystery sort of books that I really enjoy. Um, so those are the those are the ones that I've been in the middle of right now. So usually a, maybe a science fiction novel, a nonfiction, and something I'm reading with the kids. So wow, I yeah, I I don't know if I could juggle all the the books in the <laughs> air like that. I'm trying, I'm trying. So I always admire people who have more than one book going on at a time. Do you find that your reading life sparks your writing life or do you mainly just get your writing inspiration from yourself, your family, your world, your work? Oh, I'm I'm always thinking about them together. I mean, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't I'm bouncing back and forth and thinking of them, so I never know where the inspiration comes from, but I assume um and I'm in, I'm enjoying sort of this mushiness of like reflecting on personal experience, parenting, having been a clinical psychologist, working with undergraduate students, you know, listening to communities of scholars that study autism from different perspectives, like literary studies and rec comp and other psychologists and, and kind of smushing it all together and sort of seeing where those connections are, um, which is to me very not like academia most of the time, because it's usually like, here's your three by three square and like dig deeper. And um, I'm more in a listen to how things connect. So. Which I appreciate. That's, I find that's how my brain works too. Also at a university of people who might not <laughs> who do the, the deep dive that way. So I, I could appreciate all those. Nothing wrong with the deep dive. It's just, is not usually ironically my way of being is I, I want to kind of gather and then try to listen to where those different pieces come together. And um, so, and I think the things that I've been writing when I'm not writing Kidlet have been about those connections that I feel I see. Um, and so that's been another area of writing for me is like, how to write essays that maybe talk about writing kidlet or um, talk about teaching more. And so sort of those process pieces. So we'll see if you see any of those coming out sometime soon. <laughs> Love how it's just, you let it all come together and then just see where it goes. So then speaking of writing then, what what's your hope for more picture books or are you going to move to, are we going to an early reader or middle grade or you have anything uh, on the horizon? So I really want to continue writing picture books too, because um, they're an interesting challenge. Had you told me before I started that they're like poetry because of the concision of language and then language with images and page turns, I would have run away screaming. But <laughs> now that I'm involved, I'm I'm sort of enjoying it because I can I can feel myself understanding more. And now I'm learning more because I'm at a point where I understand a certain amount and I'm enjoying that. Plus there's, I, this is going to sound like a Taylor Barron, um, you know, fan festival here, but the, the process of having something you've written, that's very personal sort of be transformed by somebody else understanding it is just, it's just fantastic. Like I remember seeing the interior, like seeing the sketches and I'm like, oh, that's what Verity looks like because <laughs> I don't see very well in my head. 
So, you know, short of a picture of Eloise that I had on my bulletin board when I was writing to kind of think of that spirit, I, I don't, I don't have an image of Verity or Verity's world or Verity's family in my head at all. So I really appreciated that. And it was a very interesting process to talk to through to Sarah Fell, who is the editor, and to have her bring me information and say, what do you think? You know, and there are only a few times where I said, like, please don't have Verity doing a puzzle because like autistic people don't want to see puzzle pieces. <laughs> like okay. we're not puzzle pieces. Um, you know, so there was that exchange, but it was all through the editor. And then as soon as the book was at the printers, I wrote, you know, wrote Taylor directly, like, oh, I'm so excited. So at that, that creation where it's like ours, but I'm not, I don't even know that person um, directly. And, and there are so many people involved is pretty wild because I'm going to get a lot more public credit than Taylor is, but right. it's just as much Taylor's book as it is mine. We have a different role, but like, and I, I did. I don't think I appreciated that as much before I wrote picture books. So that's why I'll stick with picture books. Um, and I feel like I can channel six or seven, six to seven year olds, kind of like I remember that. But life gets. I keep on eyeing like middle grade and YA, and I'm like, I don't know if emotionally if I would do very well writing that. That um, I think I need to think about that some more. So that's why I've been writing more process pieces and essays and um, some other more academic stuff now, and and still writing picture books. So. Will, in your mind, in terms of the picture book writing, will, because you mentioned Verity books. Are... Oh, I have Verity stories. Okay. okay. If it does well enough that the, you know, that a second book is, you know, interesting enough for it to be acquired. Um, so I have my fingers crossed, right? But I don't, I don't have anything like officially in the works. So just, just in the works personally and right writers writers write so much more than you'll ever see unless they're you know I've chosen to do I, I would not self-publish a picture book um I, I know a lot of people who are successful with with YA and I think it's because they can sort of make a direct relationship with readers do all their production work and then have a model of distribution once they have that relationship but picture books I think are going to be traditionally printed most of the time and there's a lot of factors way beyond your control so it's kind of a lesson in patience and <laughs> sort of <laughs> keeping yourself in suspense yeah every author that I am lucky enough to talk to I feel like I learned just a smidge more about the backstory and the process behind all of it things I would have never guessed you know uh, I would have never thought that the author and illustrator wouldn't have been, you know, kind of a think tank before, you know, so that is, is new for me, but I, I just find it fascinating how the whole process works and it makes me appreciate holding that book right in my hands and knowing where, where it all comes from. So I, that's why I love being able to talk to authors like you to now get that backstory and know where it's coming from. And then as, as a reader, as a mom, especially as an educator, you know, I think I can put it into people's hands in a different way, right? And and really hope that it lands with with who I think it would be wonderful for, which I think is our superpower, you know, as as teachers and parents is putting putting books that people need into their hands. I think this process has changed the way I teach usually undergrads a bit because I always remember working with a colleague in my program and and we would write papers together and we'd be on Zoom talking and we could see our document together. And I just kind of jokingly said, hey, look, it's group work. <laughs> because so often 
students, my perception is students dread group work. And I remember why, you know, really get to choose who you're working with. And if you're on the type A side, you're trying to control everything and do everything and you want to get an A. And if you're one, not surprised there, <laughs> we might be those people. And if you're on the, the sort of, you know, I'm not sure how to jump in here. I care about my grade, but I'm not going to like sort of jump into the group or if you're the person who's like I hate group projects and if I just hang out on the fringes and wait for somebody to tell me what to do I'll get by and I think about that a lot because we don't really teach how to work together and a book like now I look at books and I know now how many people were involved with making that book I know I get it and so there's like this is tangible product of group work but I'm really enjoying it you know and so I was sort of thinking like hey, undergraduates, you you need to learn the skills to make group work work, but you also need to see that there are some amazing things that can come out of it. How do we engineer successful projects in 15-week terms or something? So I do, I the, the learning the industry and going through the process of creating a book has definitely impacted my thinking about teaching. I always knew group work was important, but I didn't have like this sort of example. Right. And for all of us type A's, we need to learn <laughs> that there is a lot of stuff that you just, you will not be able to impose control over. And that's okay. Like that's the lesson, right? So that, that often needs to be the mantra that I remind myself over and over and over. <laughs> For instance, the truck yeah. backing up behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, that, that topic seems like it could be another Verity book in and of itself right there. <laughs> Well, this is where I'm like, Verity really should have like middle grade books too, but I sort of have to really learn. I mean, I read a lot of middle grade, but I haven't internalized it enough to kind of, know, whereas I feel like I've internalized something about picture books and sort of the structure and flow. So whichever side I enter a picture book with a feeling, with a character, with a, you know, a problem, you know, I can flesh the rest of it out, but um, middle grade and YA novels feel huge, huge. If I don't like 500 words that I wrote, I can delete them or close the file, open a new one and start over. So, <laughs> Well, you tackled picture books during the pandemic. Middle grade will just be the the next thing. Well, hopefully we don't have some, you know, giant shutdown to show you that you could do it. But well, I will say, as much as I don't want to be in a lot of Zoom meetings for my job, um, which there's a lot of Zoom meetings in higher ed, or there's a lot of meetings in higher ed, I should say, um, I do appreciate being to, able to work more with people that I wouldn't be able to because we don't live close together. And accessibility-wise, I'm glad that SCBWI, which is the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, um, has still kept a lot of virtual things because it's a way to stay connected when maybe we can't afford it or we can't afford the time or it's it's too great a distance or somebody has a disability and they can't travel or somebody has um, you know caring responsibilities for other people and they can't travel. And so um, if we keep that pandemic lesson that we don't have to have all one or the other, but both is really important. Um, I think we all benefit from that. So as, <laughs> I'd love to see people in person, but I don't live near a lot of people or I can't always go right. there. So, Right. You said you're pretty far up there in Maine. We wouldn't be able to have this conversation without that that newness that came out of that. Now it's the norm to be in how many Zoom meetings? Uh, <laughs> I dodge meetings a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Well, I'm so excited um, to see whatever comes next in, in your books, but tell listeners, where can they, where can they find you? Where can they find um, a copy of, of your book? So um, I have an author website and I have a faculty website too. Um, and I can give those to you if you want to post them, if that's the sort of situation. So if you look up Megan Wilson Duff, you'll usually find them. Um, and then um, I, I'm always going to say support your local bookstores. They may not have a copy in, but most of them will order it for you. Um, I would say a very popular online commercial site that everybody seems to use because <laughs> it sells everything has been selling it for more than its uh, list price. So, um, but that free shipping is compelling. So I say, if you're not in a hurry, ask your library or ask a local bookstore and um, come pick it up when it comes in. That's how you get your free shipping. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's something that I've learned recently, especially as I figure out how to support debut authors, how to support independent authors. I really had no idea that I could go to my local library and request a title for them to add to the collection. I, I, it's something that I think I should have known. I mean, how else do they get all of those great books in the library? But that is something that now I've I've been doing a lot too. So every library does it. So that's also also an option um, to get your hands on it. But thank you. Yeah. Oh, oh no problem. I was also going to say, if not the library requests are really helpful. I did not understand how much of bringing a book into the world and then having it get into people's hands is just things like this that somebody might hear, yeah. reviews, other postings, because there's so many wonderful books. It's hard to like get any one of them kind of up to people's conscious awareness. So I appreciate this so much. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Like I said, I, I always feel like a little kid on Christmas when I get to talk to authors and see their books. So I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the book you put out there for the books that might be there in the future and, and really can't wait to just connect this book to readers, teachers, parents that I know will find it not only helpful, but also enjoyable, right? To, to have both of them. So thank you so much, Megan, for chatting. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Kid Lit Love podcast. You'll find links to all the books, resources, and ideas mentioned in the show notes at alitlife.com. And if you want more, you might like to listen to my other podcast called Get Literate. It's a podcast that explores all things books and reading, notebooks and writing, and everything in between to build a life you love. One more thing. If you love what you listened to today, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast or take a screenshot of the episode and text it to a bookish friend. This helps the podcast grow and builds our bookish community of kid lit love. Thanks for listening.